Welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Lee. Our guest today, Willie Donick. This episode sponsored by the Well Coffee House, which turns coffee into water. The Well is a coffee house with the mission to bring clean water to the world. To date, over 30 communities across the globe have access to safe water, health, and hope. You can also make an impact by visiting a Well Coffee House location today. There are four locations to serve you in the Nashville area. Those are in Brentwood, Green Hills, downtown, and Bellevue. More information can be found at wellcoffeehouse.org. The Well Coffee House, where coffee changes lives. We also thank our co-presenting sponsor, Wellspire, Nashville's Learning and Development Center, which is located in the Gulch. Today's news presented by Sutherland and Belk, a local injury law firm committed to helping those who have been injured in accidents. If you or someone you know has been in a wreck or other accident, reach out to Sutherland and Belk and see what your rights are. You can find all their contact info online at sbinjurylaw.com. Vanderbilt hosts Alabama in hoops on Wednesday night. Tip-off 8 Central at Memorial Gym. You can see that on the SEC Network. Our guest line, presented by Bowling Branch, started by Vanderbilt graduates Scott and Missy Tannen. Had no clue how comfortable sheets could be till I got these. They are fair trade certified, meaning they are made under safe conditions by men and women treated and paid fairly. Try them for a month. You can return them for free, but you won't want to. Once you get the sheets, try the mattress. That was voted the best mattress of 2018. Go to BowlingBranch.com. That's spelled B-O-L-L. Enter the promo code VANDY and get your first set of sheets at $50 off. Willie Donick joins me with 102.5 The Game. Willie also the play-by-play voice of the Predators and, of course, a former Vanderbilt basketball and baseball player. Willie, how are you today? I'm doing well. I am doing well, Chris. Yeah. Basketball. <laughs> Give people some hope at this point. Well, it's going to be tough sledding. I think there's that's pretty clear at this point. Um, uh, you know, I don't, I don't know what – I think everybody is aware of, of what's gone on. And I think Jerry Stackhouse – he, he knows everybody's aware, and I think people are just going to have to show some patience here. And he's going to do the best job he can to get these guys to reach their potential. And I don't know what that potential is at this point. It may not be any great shakes, but I think you're looking for small victories. And you hope that you can put together some nights where you have a chance to win. I, I think at this point, you're just starting from scratch. and and hoping for the best, but there's no question. They have been dealt some tough blows here and you know, how you handle it is, is what it's all about. I am having a really hard time finding a path to them beating anybody. I'm thinking like one of the, the most realistic ones is maybe South Carolina, because that's a team that doesn't shoot very well. That's a team that literally beat Virginia on the road and then came home and lost to Stetson the next game. And, and by the way, Stetson is not a good mid-major team for people wondering. That's a very bad team. So I'm thinking the formula is to catch a team on a night like that where maybe they shoot as bad as Vanderbilt just did in the Tennessee game. I, I thought Tennessee actually was, for that reason, one of the better shots they had at a win. You saw how that went. And the issue with the Carolina game now is it's, I think, the last game of the regular season, by which point you have to wonder where their confidence is. So I wanted you to give me 
a scenario of, of who they can beat and when and how because that's just getting hard to see. I think you have to try to put it in these terms. I, I don't know if it's as much who they're going to play. I, I think it speaks for itself. You know, when they when they play the top teams in the league, it's going to be tough. I think, though, that there, there are going to be some games, especially at home, you would hope, where Vanderbilt can can have a good shooting night. Uh, I've, I've seen some nights where, where they can shoot half decent. The freshmen, I think, are going to have some good nights and some bad nights. And I, I think it's I think it's wise to think, at least I'm I'm going to think the glass is half full, that they're going to be they're going to get better than they than they have been in these first couple of games without Aaron Neesmith. Uh, I think that that's got to be the thing that I'm most looking for is can this team improve from this point forward rather than unravel like they did last year steadily after Darius Garland got hurt. Well, I say South Carolina. They've also got Carolina on the road this weekend. So, again, Carolina's a team that has lost some bad games at home. So, maybe, again, an opponent in a right spot. And I know that's not the way you're thinking about it, but just back to where I was going, uh, that's a point I wanted to make. Look, I've said this before the season. I said I think that him doing anything, winning four or five games with significant progress, I think – all expectations are are basically off the table in terms with winning games. So what what does first of all I think you judge him by what he did with Neesmith because I, I don't know how any other fair way to do it. And how do you grade him on what you saw? Well, I, I think it's there's Neesmith for sure. I think what he did with Neesmith, number one. I saw a great improvement from Aaron Neesmith, who had a heck of a freshman year. I thought he was one of the few bright spots that they had last year. And he came in a better player. He, he has made a big jump in his big picture as a basketball player. I think Jerry Stackhouse and his staff deserve some credit for that. And I think the other underrated blow here is, is not having Cleavon Brown. Cleavon Brown is not a great player but he's a solid SEC player. He's a veteran SEC player. That's a valuable piece, especially when you consider the drop-off. They don't have a couple other serviceable seniors on the bench at his position. So that's a major blow, too, in terms of just having a, a shot blocker, rebounder, and a guy that on a particular night could give it 10 or 12 points. Uh, and I thought he had maybe shown some signs of improvement. I was looking forward to what he would look like in the SEC. So it's really two pieces. It's not just one that they've lost on an already very thin team. So once again, I, whatever the record ends up being is not as important of, as how they look. Are they going to give themselves the best chance they can give themselves? And will they have the right team attitude? And you have to, unfortunately, you have to look at that beyond the score. And I know we live in a world of, hey, if they, if they were to go oh for the year, that's going to be a big story. I think those who are watching closely are going to watch more closely at how they play as a team, how he holds this young group together. Because Scottie Pippen, Dylan DeSue, uh, Jordan Wright, these guys are going to be playing together for a while, presumably, right? And how they get through this year. 
in, in future years. Well, back to Hope. I'm glad you mentioned Cleavon Brown because that is the one thing they could get him back in, I'm just going to guess, three weeks, maybe around the time of the Florida game on the road. Then they go to Tennessee on the road. If you want to go literally mid-February, which is the timeline that um, when I talked to Tim Thompson, he kind of guessed about. You know, they're not volunteering a lot of information on him. But what I did get told on Saturdays that he plans to come back. So maybe a boost from that, just having one more serviceable player, especially in an area need, maybe that's where you find some ray of hope and they can sneak one or two out at the end of the year. Well, that that would be nice. And again, it's not like you get the first pick in the draft for finishing last. So you got to go for everything you can get. But I will will say this. What what they're rolling out there right now, close to what they had talent-wise last year after Garland got hurt. I don't know if you agree or disagree, Chris, but you look at what Yanni Wenzel is doing for an undefeated San Diego State team. Uh, You had had Smith last year. You had Saban Lee. You had a couple other pieces of experienced players. So I'm trying to put it in perspective what Jerry Stackhouse is facing here compared to last year. And so, again, I, I'm looking for how they play, not, not as much the result. But I, I'm not ruling out that they could have a night where if they battle, if they prepare, and if they, keep, if they hold it together, they could have a chance to win a couple of games. Yeah, I'm with you. I don't really judge him on results. I just don't know how you can. Because, honestly, I was thinking about this. If if last year's team could play this year's team, what would be your line that you'd set on the game or for the odds maker? I've got an answer in mind. I want to hear what you say. You're saying that, that as they sit right now, no Brown and no Neesmith? Yeah, like if you could, if you could freeze a moment in time and take – the players that they had at this time last year and where they were before the the losses piled up, okay, and that really killed their confidence. And you could take this team where it is right now with no Brown and no Neesmith. Um, you know, of course, you're going to have players playing against each other on both sides, but that's – you freeze them at their respective stages of development, if that makes sense. If those two teams play, you know, on today, January the 22nd, last year's team on January the 22nd versus this year's team today, what's the line that you put on that game going in? Just off the top of my head, I, I mean, I, the first thing I think about when you ask me that is last year's team is able to be in position to beat Tennessee uh, on their home court. You know, they didn't have Darius Garland in that game. They, they, they had enough talent, though, to, to be in position to where I thought a very unfortunate uh, hook and – hook call or whatever they call that thing now, which I thought was the wrong call, the arm bar or whatever they are calling that thing. I, I thought that was extremely unfortunate, but even so Vanderbilt, I think you could argue should have won that game. I, I don't know that this team this year is talented enough to do that against a top 10 team, top five team, which Tennessee was last year. Um, so I would say last year, just on talent, on paper, last year's team would be a 10-point favorite over this team. Yeah, I was thinking that. I, I was going to go down to eight because I was like, well, maybe that's a little harsh. But it's interesting, and I, I did it that way on purpose because I wanted to hear what you were thinking 
before I answered it, but I, I think you're right. And speaking of the hook and hold, the anniversary of that game is tomorrow. If you want to play a really interesting what if, what happens if that call is never made? Well, if that call is never made, I forget exactly what the situation was, but let's say that call is not made. Cleavon Brown gets the rebound. Vanderbilt is up, what, six? I think the they ball? were up six with the ball, and I want to say maybe a minute and 45, minute and 50 left. That's all yeah, from I, memory. I'm not, I'm not going to say the game is over at that point, but they are, they are really in the driver's seat. Now, I think we can also say that one of the unfortunate parts of Bryce Brew's tenure as, a, as the head coach was they did not always lock down those games. So it, it, I don't think it was over. Um, but I, I think they would have had match point. You know, they are basically free throws and no bad turnovers away from winning that game, closing it out. We're going to the mailbag, which is sponsored by Vanderbilt Fan and independent insurance agent Josh Minton of Brentwood. Do you need an insurance agent who wants to know your unique needs and circumstances and will tailor an insurance plan to fit them. Josh is your guy. Call him 615-933-1979. Email him at josh at hqinsurance.com. Follow him at facebook.com forward slash J.D. Minton HQ. He's my agent. Give him a shot. Think you'll be pleased. Mr. Vandy says, what's your opinion of the three-point streak being broken on Saturday? I, I had a lot of thoughts. You know, I, I was uh, I watched some of the first half of the game. Uh, but honestly, I was distracted because, uh, the game was a five o'clock game. The Predators played that night at seven o'clock. So, so I was preparing for that game. And then it was only, uh, mid time onsite engineer for the Vanderbilt radio network, Bob Warner, who now does some games, uh, in the arena on, on our radio side for the Predators radio. And he informed me and I just, my jaw dropped. I couldn't believe it. Um, but you know, this is, this is, I, I don't know if I would have predicted this because it's hard to go over, right? Right. But when you consider the factors, you move the line back, which does affect things, right? It, it if you look nationally, the three point percentage is down a little bit, uh, when you move the line back and your best shooter is gone and Aaron Neesmith, when you look individually at the shooting ability, of what they have left, it's shaky, right? There, there's no nobody that you would say is a great shooter. There's some guys who can have a good night, but they're not going to have consistently good nights. So everything aligned, you know? I mean, what you what can you say? They shot 25. It's not like they went 0 for 9 and never tried it. Um, but just from a historical standpoint, just as a fan and, and somebody who was a part of the streak, I don't know if I ever kept the streak alive officially, and I don't think we ever had any close calls in the three years that I played. I don't ever remember the game going deep into the second half without us having hit one. But uh, it's just tough. You know, it's, what, are, what are the things that Vanderbilt basketball is known for? Well, that's one of them. Uh, Memorial Gym is the other, right? Those are two of the calling cards. And now you're, you're, out, of that, you're out of that exclusive club. It's too bad. I'm not going to ask you to be specific or, or share specifics, but I'm guessing you got at least one or two texts from former players when that streak was gone. 
Oh yeah, and I and I saw a lot of the the players from different eras sending out tweets, uh, you know, just lamenting. You know, and they weren't. It was sadness, right? It was just something that bonds all Vanderbilt players together, right? That's that's what you had. It, it's not it's not any anger at this team, or you know, being bitter at this team. It's nothing like that. It's just a little bit of sadness of something that was a little bit special about Vanderbilt that, like I said, bonded all the eras together, right? It was a link in the chain. So that, that was tough, but you know, they'll move on. And I, I, I really believe that there will be better days ahead. You just got to get through this tough time. Crime door says, if you read Barry Goheen's book, and if so, what did you think? You know, I haven't had a chance to read Barry's book yet, but, uh, but I'm looking forward to doing that. Um, you know, I can just say that as a guy that came in the year after he graduated and that, and that great crew uh, graduated with Barry Booker and, and on down the line, Frank Cornette, and the year before that, Will Purdue. I mean, those teams were influential uh, in putting Vanderbilt on the radar for me. I, I grew up in, in New York and then Florida. I didn't know a whole lot about Vanderbilt basketball growing up, but I sure learned uh, because of the heroics of that group more than anything else. They, they all of a sudden emerged and living in Florida, you started noticing Vanderbilt basketball. And then I was fortunate enough to be recruited and uh, on my recruiting trip, that's when I met all those guys. So those guys are a gigantic part uh, of Vanderbilt basketball history. And of course that, you know, linking it together with the first question, that was the first group that took full advantage of the brand new three point line, right? That was the first couple years of the three and CM Newton dove right in there and said, we're going to use this line. And they had, he had the right shooters to do it. That brings me to a good point. I think that CM Newton was ahead of the curve with how to play it with that line. Because I think if this had been done in the age of analytics, people would have figured a lot of this stuff that he figured out a long time ago. And I think that streak would be one that was shared with more than three programs coming into this weekend. I think there's no doubt. I wonder how many teams crossed themselves off the list the first year. I'd love to do a study on that. I think you're right. Uh, because they probably just did not adjust. They probably said, you know what, we're the three's there, but we're going to play the same way we've played. Probably a lot of good teams were pretty good before the three-point line came in, and they didn't figure they needed to change. Uh, also, I don't think people I – think, I think what was brilliant about Coach Newton – and I, I would throw in Rick Pitino as the other, you know, trailblazer in that. I can remember being a high school player going to the five-star basketball camp, and he and his guys that had been a part of that camp for a long time about how to use the three-point line. And they, they had already given it a lot of thought. They were ahead of the curve. I thought Coach Newton and, for that matter, Coach Pitino, they understood what a weapon it was. I'm not even sure if it was from a math standpoint but I think they realized uh, and I think they did understand the math but they also understood that teams had not gotten used to how to defend it and it could be a big weapon it was an equalizer uh, if it was used properly I, I think they deserve a ton of credit about that because now even though Chris the line is further back people are still shooting just as many threes as they ever had it's, it's, it's a very different game because of like you said people are even diving deeper into the math part of it 
and it, it comes down to something that really is pre- pretty simple. If you shoot 33% from three, it's the same thing as 50% from two. And what, what's easier to do? <laughs> well, if you practice and you grow up shooting the threes, 33% from three is not that difficult. This is a tangent, but it's related. Does it ever amaze you how long it takes people to figure out what's right in front of them? And I'll give you two examples from baseball, okay? One of them right now is the launch angle and all the stuff that people have figured out with with swing paths and, and getting the most out of those at-bats uh, and, and that just lofting your swing a little bit more results in, in a much better offensive player, all things being equal. The second one, I, I remember thinking – you know, when, when Moneyball came out 15 years ago, whenever that's been, and they told the story of how the batting average of balls in play thing developed. And it was a guy that was like a paralegal that wasn't even in baseball right. and was just, you know, Greg Maddox had made a comment about a lot of balls found holes, and he's like, well, let's let's study that. And then he figured out that there was like some randomness and so much noise into stats because of that. It just it, – it's shocking to me how often – those things are right there for the taking, and yet it takes sports sometimes a hundred years to figure stuff like that out. <laughs> that is so true, and uh, I think every sport is now, you know, diving into those things to see what they can find out, to see if they can find an advantage that way. And you lose something too at the same time. You know, it, you know, I don't know that the game is as pretty uh, in in basketball, whether you're talking about pro or college, when you know, teams are really being taught you, you should shoot layups and you should shoot threes and very little in between, right? The mid range game, which is what we all watched people, uh, you know, operate growing up the artistic part of the game, you know, the, the post-up game, the the drive, the fake, the shot, the pull up from 15 feet. You see less of that because it's, you know, it's proven mathematically that it's not as, as high a percentage play. You don't come out ahead. Um, and so that's a shame, just like the, the hit and run, the steal, the, some of the things that make baseball exciting has been sort of minimized or weeded out entirely uh, because of the math part of it. So I, I hope we come back around and, and, and find some middle ground because I, I hope we don't just homogenize to the point where, where the mathemis, mathematicians just completely take over sports. Yeah, I do too, and I'm a guy that was like kind of on the front end. I, I would go to games, and it would drive me crazy to see the decisions that coaches made because I was kind of into the math of all those things. And, yeah. and now I, I go they and they were stuck in the old school. They're oh the yeah. Were, yeah, yeah. And people would argue with you tooth and nail. Well, you don't know what's going on, and I just would. I would want to pull my hair out. And then my life got busy. I get married. I have kids. And all the math, uh, you know, multiplies a hundred times over. Now I sit and watch sports, and when they get into heavy analytics, sometimes my eyes glaze over. And like the the thing that I see now is, hey, I, I wonder if we are too confident in math that hasn't been around long enough. And where I specifically see that is defensive stats in, in baseball, um, and especially within baseball, like the the WAR stat. I'm like, okay, I think WAR is a great stat, but I like. How do we know how accurate that is, especially when you're going back and doing it, you know, 20, 30, 40, 50, 100 years ago? I, I, that's that's a long way of saying that I still question some of what is coming in front of us, uh, and I hope it doesn't ruin the beauty of the game in the ways that you said. Yeah, I, I, I'm with you. I'm with you. And in fact, I think baseball is really trying now and, and try to make sure that they don't go too far with it. And I think basketball will get to that point. 
Willie, I know you've got to go to do a show. Tell people where they can find you on Twitter uh, and anything else that you would like to advertise with your sports career. All right. Well, thank you for the opportunity to do that. It's uh, where I hover around on Twitter. We have some fun with that. And, of course, our show, 10 a.m. to 2 p.m., ESPN Radio 1025, the game, Monday through Friday. And then on Fox Sports Tennessee, the Predators were off this week for the All-Star break. They'll resume play on Monday at home against the, the Toronto Maple Leafs. So we're looking forward. I'm, I'm recharging the batteries, and we'll come ready to, ready to go with 35 games to go in the regular season. Hey, thank you, Willie. All right, Chris, we'll talk to you again soon. He's Willie Donick. I'm Chris Lee. Thanks for listening to the Vandy Sports Podcast. We'll catch you again later in the week.